Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. I'm Mel Belevic. We're doing this podcast about our book, which is called Casa Santa Fe. There's something about Santa Fe that seems otherworldly to me. A land of ancient cultures nestled in a new country. The mountains, the narrow streets and mud houses, where the Native American culture, the Spanish culture, and the American West intersect. The oldest and highest capital city in the United States situated at an elevation of 7,199 feet above sea level. So let's kick things off with some of the hallmarks of Santa Fe style? Well, uh, the hallmarks of the Santa Fe style have ancient origins, of course, and the ancestral Pueblo, or what used to be called the Anasazi tradition. This tradition readily transformed through the course of the Spanish colonial presence and later through the Mexican early American. So each of these traditions have lent themselves to it. And you see that, whether it's puddled adobe uh, or what we call vigas or peeled timber ponderosa pines in the ceilings, all the way through to the kind of a gracile nature of the buildings. They kind of ebb and flow across kind of a litany of different types of fabrics, historic uh, structural features. So you have wood frame doors. Uh, you usually have very thick walls. You have, as I noted, uh, peeled beam ceilings, posts. You have uh, portales or arcades. Uh, you have patios or patios that are central to kind of the indoor-outdoor living arrangement. Uh, and of course, um, many of the buildings that we see in Santa Fe proper are typified by kind of either a beige or light brown to dark brown mud coating. is actually built into the city codes, but this was original to the original buildings beginning with, for example, the Palacio, the Palace of the Governors, which was saved in 1910, and it became the centerpiece for all the developments thereafter for the preservation of existing historic buildings. That was Ruben Mendoza. And Ruben, you're an archaeologist, author, photographer, and founding faculty member, California State University, Monterey Bay. Plus, you're the co-author and co-editor of several design books. For the design book process, I would imagine you would have to be in tune with each other when you and Melba Levick, the photographer, collaborated on this book. How does the collaboration work when an internationally acclaimed architecture and design photographer and an archaeologist and architectural historian team up? We began the book in the, the midst of COVID. And so that made it a challenge uh, for contacts in the community. And I have a number of contacts there who work at the Museum of Indian Arts and Cultures and the Bureau of Anthropology. And so Melba and I have met repeatedly over the course of this process. And then she, uh, in her uh, uh, long practice of meeting, greeting, and so forth, has been able to enter these communities uh, very fluidly. And suddenly she has friends everywhere. And so that has been instrumental in being able to identify the kinds of houses that the community itself sees as important to this process. Uh, Melba was very much engaged with the kind of material there. It's a photographer's paradise. And in the process, uh, we ended up with twice as many houses than we had originally planned. But what that ultimately did was allowed for the integration of more and more design elements into a book that I believe, and, and so far everyone I've talked to believes, is, is really a masterpiece of sorts insofar as design, style, 
and tradition in a community that is literally hundreds of years old. So I'd love to dive in and chat about three of the homes in the book. The first, the Roque Lobato House. Is that how you pronounce it? Roque Lobato, yes. Or House of Spirits, constructed in 1785, deemed one of Santa Fe's most significant historic homes by the magazine Antiques in 2007. The house underwent a thorough remodel by its current owners, Dr. Carl L. Horn and his wife, Susan, along with architect Craig Hoops. The renovation was intended to evoke the era identified with famed Mayanist Sylvanus Griswold Morley, who purchased the house in 1910. I would love for you to chat about the renovation and Morley. For one, I was uh, particularly honored to be able to visit this particular home and speak with Dr. Carl Horn and Susan. Uh, they were absolutely gracious hosts. Uh, we sat down in their living room, and I literally took it all in because I am a Mesoamericanist. In other words, uh, much of my uh, career has been uh, dom- dominant by the study of pre-Columbian architecture. And Sylvanus Griswold Morley was one of the leading proponents for the protection and preservation of Maya monuments all over the Yucatan Peninsula. He also happened to be a, a spy during a World War I for the U.S. government. And uh, he was a, a particularly interesting character on many different levels, very complex personality. But Morley was basically recruited by Elgar Hewitt, an archaeologist, to assist with the renovation and restoration of the Palace of the Governors. Uh, You have to bear in mind that while the Palace of the Governors is one of the central features of the plaza, it's one of the largest civic buildings in, you know, at least early civic buildings in Santa Fe, it was also one built from about 1610 onward, and it saw literally a transition from the Pueblo, ancestral Pueblo, through to the Spanish colonial when it was constructed, into the Mexican era, and it housed American governors as well. So it's a building with a, a major gravitas. It, it was a place, a centerpiece for political and cultural life. However, you have to bear in mind that when the Santa Fe Trail was you know, uh, created, and you had people moving from the East Coast, Americans trading with essentially uh, the Mexicans for the most part, the Santa Fe Trail grew exponentially, over a thousand miles long, and Santa Fe became the crux of the intersection between this far-flung frontier settlement and Mexico City, with its own El Camino Real that extended 1,600 miles to the south. What's important about Morley is that he, Hewitt, and other archaeologists, including photographer Carlos Vieira, who's also cited in the book, they came together in order to see through the restoration. And as a result, that restoration became pivotal to saving the Santa Fe style, because many of those who had come from the east saw the buildings as uh, primitive. Uh, they saw them as rustic. They saw them as un-American. And so there was a move to demolish or to modify the buildings to give them more of a, a Victorian style, especially in the late 1800s, or for that matter, create uh, a New England style. And in fact, there was a period with uh, the Palace of the Governors where they had begun to add wooden ornaments, uh, which were essentially Victorian stylistic elements. And uh, well, the building fell into disrepair and uh, it was about to be demolished. And Hewitt and his colleagues, including Morley, stepped in and they began to advocate for its preservation. They ultimately purchased the building and it became uh, basically the new school of American archaeology. And, and it, it was just a matter of time before that became kind of a cultural centerpiece for the community. And then Morley and Hewitt managed to get on to the planning commission, and they pushed to preserve 
the adobes, the old adobes of the Mexican era, they pushed to preserve them for posterity. And then eventually, uh, through RAP, a later architect, they were able to encode the guidelines and policies that live in Santa Fe today. In fact, it was Morley who pushed the idea of the city different as opposed to the city beautiful. In other words, a city different because this is like no other American city. And I think I can vouch for that, having seen many of the cities across the country and how they are eclectic and very different than this city that has a, a, a rather homogeneous appearance in terms of adobe architecture, whether ancient or modern. Insofar as the Roque Lobato house, uh, this was a site that is interesting by virtue of the fact that it was a home that was built by a Spanish soldier who was also the armorer of the Presidio of Santa Fe. And this house was uh, uh, basically constructed in about 1785. And it is uh, situated atop a, a, an, a hill overlooking what would have been the Presidio at that time. And when I use the word Presidio, I'm talking of a Spanish fort or fortress or garrison where Spanish soldiers were housed. The house itself is absolutely beautiful. Um, the uh, the owners, uh, Dr. Carl Horn and Susan, went to great lengths to make sure that the house was returned to its appearance when Morley lived there. And I should note that I was in, in high school, I was a huge fan of Sylvanus Griswold Morley. And I would pour over his books, and that's a lot of what got me into archaeology. Uh, his work here or there in Santa Fe, ultimately translated to the restoration and preservation of Mesa Verde, Chaco Canyon, ultimately places like Chichen Itza in Mexico, where he was situated for several years and engaged in the restoration of that site, where literally millions of people each year visit this site that really is the product of his work. When you go through the house, there are many of the design features of the original house that are absolutely intact. And there are additional pieces like the 17th or 18th century beam and post corbel or arcade in the front that was brought from a nearby house. And that particular house uh, maintained a more stylized uh, woodwork. And that was integrated into uh, the uh, portal or the portico right at the front as you enter the house. The day I arrived there, it was there was a significant downpour. And, uh, you know, uh, the horns were there to greet me. Uh, they were absolutely wonderful, as I noted. And we did a tour of the house. And literally, there were many features of the house that I would love to see integrated into my own home. In fact, so much so that I, I plan to redesign my living room in the Santa Fe style, which might sound like an obsession. But after I saw their home, I was absolutely convinced that that was the way to go. Uh, the uh, the building, as I've already noted, uh, is one that uh, dates to 1785, and it's gone through quite a history. But again, the horns made sure that many of the original stylistic elements, the interiors, uh, the arcades, and so forth, were preserved. Uh, Sylvanus Griswold Morley's addition of board and batten woodwork for a wainscot around the living room is absolutely perfect. And while it may have departed somewhat from the Spanish style. It does show the American influence of that time. So you have this melange of both American, early American elements, as well as Spanish colonial and Mexican interiors with artistic works uh, from the ancestral Pueblo or Anasazi, Mogollon, and other cultures mixed with more recent Mexican works 
santos or statuary and bultos that are kind of the religious tradition colonial era. The whole uh, art and furnishings by William Penn Hallow Henderson are just incredible. Yes, I, I agree. The uh, One of the, the features that was most striking and uh, that most impressed me uh, was the library. It is an amazing library uh, replete with all the things that really appeal, for example, to an archaeologist like myself or someone engaged with the study of Southwestern arts and crafts. It really was that, uh, it was an immaculate home. It truly was. I might note that the Horns have also published a book. Uh, their son uh, is engaged in all of this, and, and they wrote a book about the house, which I, I collected, and which is really quite appealing. I like how the library is basically half pottery and half books. When you look at it, it, it just, it works. All too often, you know, we collectors will often mix our materials, uh, you know, and strew them across our bookshelves along with books. But in this particular case, this was uh, beautifully done. So moving on to Casa Hankison, a historic adobe structure, you say this adobe exudes a distinctive old New Mexico charm and an ambience that modern construction simply can't replicate. The exact date of construction remains unknown. So was there just not much information on this building? I would think you could visually date a building by inspecting it. I'm so curious about that. I do historic assessments on the Monterey Bay. I, I've been doing these for years. There in Santa Fe, you are dealing with mud brick architecture, uh, often coated with layers of either mud or stucco, usually uh, lime veneers. And one of the things that happens is because these buildings are so organic, uh, you know, people through the years will modify them, add to them, build off of them, but retain the original style, which is now part of the city code. And as a result, what ends up happening is the building at the core ends up encased or surrounded or amended with additional buildings that don't necessarily follow the original stylistic reference uh, of, the, of the original historic fabric. And in the case of this building, this started out as a mill, a Spanish mill. And uh, so it's, it's hard to define what the core of that building was. In this particular case, I'm sure that if we go back uh, to uh, the historical record, there's got to be a reference uh, to this original building in the Presidio records. Those aren't always digitized or accessible, but I can assure you, uh, if given more time, I could get to the bottom of it. So in this particular uh, instance, what I did was I projected to the 1700s, and I would I believe the building, or at least the core building, was constructed in about the 1720s or 30s. And then uh, the building was essentially abandoned, went through a period in which it began to you know, go into a period of dilapidation. And then in 1930, uh, you get literally an effort to rebuild the building under uh, the New Mexican architect, William Lumpkin, who uh, basically inserted a lot of his uh, vision for what a Spanish Pueblo building should look like. And of course, you have additional remodels that occurred, extending between 2009 and 2019. And then you have the addition of the outdoor pavilion, and of course, the landscaping that was done by Alana Markle. And so all of these things come together to reflect a long period of use, disuse, and redevelopment. 
So located on a hillside overlooking Santa Fe's historic east side sits Hollenbeck House, um, and it also graces the cover of the book, designed and built by architect John Gaw Meem for New York heiress and Victorian feminist Amelia Hollenbeck in 1932. In the book he wrote, Meem saw this house as one of his most significant architectural achievements, while at the same time admitting that much of the credit must go to Hollenbeck. This story fascinated me. Please chat a little bit about this really special house. Yeah, I was I was intrigued by Amelia Hollenbeck because uh, she saw the value in the architecture, the style, the traditions, and the arts of Santa Fe and vicinity. And she went to great lengths to collect uh, architectural elements, building materials of every imaginable sort. Can you imagine uh, this New York heiress wandering about the desert with a crew of uh, salvagers, and in the process, going into pueblos? And some of the, a number of them were ancestral pueblo buildings dating back centuries. And the elements would be lying out and being weathered, or they were buildings that had fallen into disrepair. And she would go in, purchase the materials, and take those pieces that she thought would complement the home. So really, the home is a constellation of the history and prehistory of northern New Mexico, because many of the elements came from uh, many different areas in northern New Mexico, and Santa Fe in particular. And so as a result, uh, at, you know, in, in this particular case, we have a whole host of additions that are not original to the house, but do reflect the antiquity and the historicity of this place we call Santa Fe. And so uh, when I saw the pictures that Melba produced of this house, I was particularly taken. And it would have been one of those houses I myself did not get to. Uh, but I did uh, visit with about a dozen folks there in Santa Fe during my one-month uh, stay in uh, in Adobe, a hundred-year-old Adobe there in downtown Santa Fe. But if you if you look at the house, the doors, um, labor de menado is a term uh, that characterizes the, the deeply inset and carved wooden doors of the Spanish colonial period. We find them uh, originating in Andalusia and Spain under the Moors, and they are usually very ornate and elaborate, and we do see that here. We also see the massive uh, hand-hewn vigas and the corbels that uphold those vigas, again, exemplifying not only the architecture of Santa Fe, but some of those religious architectural traditions like the, the main churches there in San Juan, where you have these exact same elements. The, uh, the corridors, the doors, the flooring, all of it fits with an ancestral Pueblo uh, design mystique. And so for me, uh, seeing the, the front of this house, I was convinced that that was the picture that needed to be on the cover. And essentially, uh, Melba had already seen that as well. So Melba, I think in this photo, the shadows really make it. It looked like it was getting ready to rain or it just had rained. Can you talk a little bit about that photo? Yes, it was a stormy sky, but it was the end of that golden light. It was the end of the afternoon 
when the sun just went below those dark clouds and um, it created a light that was absolutely fantastic. So I was just going like crazy and trying to capture that. It didn't last that long. And I was able to get shots, you know, of the also the portals, which were just illuminated, you know, it just looked otherworldly. It was very, very beautiful and mysterious and very Santa Fe. Um, the drama. And this went back and forth. I mean, with the publisher, they weren't sure because they thought this photo might look a little sad or might look a little, you know, just stormy. And But I was pretty convinced that this was the dramatic photo that, that really captured the Santa Fe feeling, you know, this kind of mystery of this conjunction of cultures and just beauty that's that on a mountaintop. And we fought for it. And, uh, you know, they deferred to our passion in wanting this photo on the cover. And I think it really did work out really well. As you were writing and researching this book, did you discover anything new that you didn't know before? Well, uh, for my part, um, there were a lot of details, uh, you know, because I've written on, uh, I've written and published uh, on the material culture, architecture, and traditions of California and the American Southwest. Uh, you know, I was trained at the University of Arizona, and so I was constantly surrounded and kind of embedded in traditions that included adobe structures, included uh, Mexican and Spanish colonial and, uh, you know, uh, indigenous elements. And so when I began uh, the research on this, one of the things that stood out to me, and you know, it's, I don't know that it's particularly well known, although it has been written about, is that archeologists were instrumental in saving uh, essentially the palace of the governors. And they were absolutely fastidious in the effort to restore it, as well as to propagate the idea of a Santa Fe style. And so it really began with them, but before I entered the fray uh, and, and uh, Melba and I began to collaborate on this, um, the, the architects that I heard uh, about most were Rap and Meme, and each of them contributed significantly. And in fact, uh, Meme was instrumental in seeing uh, the city code embedded with the Santa Fe style. So he, he takes the lion's share of, of the credit for what has become the tradition there. But the tradition has ancient roots. And as I investigated further, not only were these archaeologists, including Sylvanus Griswold Morley, significant to my understanding of the place, but uh, when Melba returned from her first uh, stay in Santa Fe, uh, she kept make, making reference to uh, the kivas uh, in the in the individual households that she was photographing, and uh, you know the kiva fireplace was a term that was not one I was accustomed to. Uh, and it's it's very common to you know, commonly used there in Santa Fe, but it's almost like an isolate uh, because I know these as hornos. Uh, we we know them with a lot of other terms, but uh, the folks there, especially during the Pueblo revival period in the 1920s and 30s, uh, decided that the these ovens, uh, these these fireplaces uh, built into the corners of the rooms. Uh, looked like kivas. They were round. Uh, they had elements that suggested a kiva, and a kiva, of course, being a Pueblo uh, religious uh, um, building. Typically, these can be traced all the way back to the pit houses of the uh, 700s, 800 AD. These eventually evolved into ritual chambers that, you know, where uh, various groups, uh, what we call sodalities or clans, would meet and converge over religion and politics. 
Clearly, that hasn't gone away. And in the process of doing that, these then became uh, they became uh, subterranean structures. And then in the pueblos of the Rio Grande, they were actually being built on the surface. So you see these massive round structures, and they do suggest at least the fireplaces suggest kivas. The kiva, uh, when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's kind of sacrilegious uh, to use that. I was actually hesitant to use the term. But then I began researching these kivas further and found that there were uh, Native Americans of, of, of ancestral Pueblo descent who acknowledged the use of the term, but also acknowledged that for Pueblos, it was a term that could be construed as hurtful, problematic, uh, and many of them have accepted it to one degree or another. But it's part of the lore of the Pueblo revival movement. So you can argue on one hand, uh, they're acknowledging uh, the contributions and traditions of the ancestral Pueblo. But at the same time, by using the term, they misappropriate and use it in a context which is probably not appropriate. Uh, nevertheless, the term has stuck and it is used in the book. It is defined accordingly. So Melba, what about you? What is one thing or more that you discovered doing this book? For me, it's a discovery through and through. I mean, how the four or even five cultures are. I mean, it's a place where the indigenous and Mexican and Spanish and American West come together. So where can we find you both on the web and social media? I'm a recently retired professor from Cal State University Monterey Bay, but I'm also an architectural historian and archaeologist. And uh, you can find me on the web at archivesarchaeology.com. And you, Melba? So Instagram would be Melba Levick Photos. My website, I'm, I'm really happy with. It's melbalevickphotos.com. Well, this has been just terrific. I adore this book. And I want to thank you, Ruben and Melba, for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. Well, thank, thank you. you, Susie. It's been such a pleasure. And thank you for having us. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast, Decorating by the Book.